culture of how men step forward into leadership, uh, deacons as pastors, just equipping themselves with the Word of God and with training that um, enables them to step forward into leadership. So I want to recognize that group, those groups starting out. Uh, Tom Evans is leading one and Keir Skiles is leading another. Um, and the men um, stepping forward in that, I just want to recognize them. Maybe have you stand if you're, if you're here, even if, if, if you're at home. We can recognize you and thank you for this, uh, that, that you're stepping forward, that you're, that you're leading well. Uh, Simon Montebo, uh, want to recognize you. Joe Laranger, uh, thank you. Uh, Jose Martinez, Mike Hobson, Joel Leifusberger, Eric Graves, and Scott Thunderbrook. So uh, thank you, men for stepping forward. Uh, appreciate your work, appreciate your effort, and uh, look forward to what the Lord does through and in our lives. Um, with that, I guess we're good. All right, guys. Well, good morning. Everybody who's here, everybody's at home. Uh, it's good to see you guys. Let's stand. Uh, it was a little chilly this morning. We had that, uh, that panic moment with, with a few of our kids this morning, uh, reali you realize, oh, it's cold. And then you're scrambling, trying to find jeans, you know, because they've been wearing shorts for the last whatever. And, uh, and then you realize, oh, man, they've outgrown them. And so they're like, you know. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at, thy, at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, that is Jews and Gentiles, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God, by the Spirit. Thanks, bro. Well, good morning, everybody. Man, it is good to be here in person. This is the first time back for our family, and um, I got to hug my boy uh, Jeff Wilkins this morning for the first time since March. So um, that being here, singing with you guys, even though it's through Mass, my heart is full. So I'm just so glad to be here. Um, I was um, very encouraged last week by Dave Blum's message. I hope you guys got to hear it or, you know, in person or were able to tune in. I hope you were encouraged um, by it as well. And if you remember 
um, back, one of the things that he said uh, at the very early part of his message is that the, the events of this year um, have really made it seem or feel like some of the, the foundations in our lives and our country are shifting, right? And then he shared this, this verse from um, Psalm 11, and in verse 3, it says that if the foundations are destroyed, what can the right, um, righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so as, as everybody knows, right, like one of, one of the tremors in our country that's currently shaking part of its foundation is that of race and equality and justice. And so when, when we do see people in pain and people suffering and, and being experienced by people because of their skin color, it's easy to maybe for some of us to feel paralyzed and ask the same question and wonder, what is it that we can do? How are the people of God to respond into these types of situations? And so as we continue into the second half of Ephesians 2 uh, this morning, the word of God, as it so often does in our lives, meets us right where we need it. In the verses that James just read, we are reminded that, that racial reconciliation is not just an American issue. It is not just a social justice issue, but it is a gospel issue. And we see in this passage that, that God's plan, his blueprint for humanity includes believers of, of every skin color, of every ethnic group being at peace and being in unity by the power of the cross. And so even if we do feel as though our, our foundation may be shifting and we're not quite sure what to do, God reminds us in his word that through his power displayed on the cross, and the righteousness that we get put on us from Jesus, that we can begin to live, as Blum put it last week, resiliently and maybe somewhat audaciously in these present times. And so this morning we are going to look to the true, the living, and the active word of God for help in this. And so in his letter to um, the Ephesians, Paul is He's writing to a church made up of mostly Gentile believers, right? Which is, that's just the Bible's word for believers that are, are non-Jewish. They're not of Jewish descent. They're outside of the Jewish people. And he begins this passage, he feels compelled to remind them of what their life was like before God. And he writes this, he says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so for, for thousands of years before Paul writes this, the Jewish people had enjoyed this, like, this direct um, knowledge of and experience of the real one triune God. Right? And for thousands of years, the Gentiles had experienced the opposite. They had they'd walked in darkness. They had worshipped false gods. They had lived without true meaning and true purpose in their lives because they did not know who the real God was. They were separated from him. And so the Gentiles were separated from God, and they were also separated from God's people, who in this passage Paul is calling the commonwealth of Israel. And so we, we do know that Israel as a nation, right, was far from perfect. We know that. But, but being a Jew, being part of the commonwealth of of Israel, part of God's chosen people, absolutely carried with it blessings and benefits for the lives of the Jewish people when they were walking in the will of God. But being a Gentile meant that you were separated from God and from God's people. 
and all the good and all of the blessings that would have gone along with that. And Paul says this, he, he, and when he says this, he means that because of that, they had no hope and they were without God. Now, that, that sounds like a bad spot to be in, right? Like if you could choose this morning whether you wanted to be with God and have hope or without God and have no hope, we're choosing this one every time, right? And so I want to stop for a second and ask you to, to pull this out of the text and to lay this on your own life because we need to feel the weight of this to remember that we've had this same experience, right? That at one time, we were separated from Christ, that we were strangers to God's promise, that we had no hope, and that we were without God. So, so do you remember what life was like for you before Christ? Do you remember what it was like when you were separated from God? Now, I profess faith in Christ at a pretty early age, so like, I don't really have a, a clear memory of like, what it was like to not have a concept of who God was, but I absolutely remember in my early 20s when God just hit me with the weight of how much a bad shape I was in before he opened my eyes to the reality of who he was. And he, he just made me feel the weight of, without him doing what he did in my life, I would have been without hope. And this is true of all of us. We were all separated, strangers, having no hope without God. Think about that for you this morning. Think about that time in your life when that was true of you. Because we need to be able to remember this and to feel this deeply. Because I think if we don't, like if we can't get there and we don't remember, I think it's gonna be hard for us to fully grasp God's heart for racial reconciliation in scripture. And so, so the early church was this mixture of, of Jew and Gentile, of those who, who had known and experienced God and those who had not, of those who, who were excluded and those who were doing the excluding. And so there's this long history between these two people groups of deep separation, both from God and from one another. And so Paul opens this passage asking them to remember that he wants them to remember the bad news of where they were so that he can then move and tell them the good news of where they are. And in verse 13, he says this. He says, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who had made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And so Paul, he pivots from the bad news and he points us towards the good news that God has fixed this separation. The hostility that existed between God and between man has been fixed at the cross. And so like we, we know from the Old Testament, right, that the Jewish law had all kinds of these rules and, and regulations about, about how to worship, how to atone for your sin, um, really about how to have access and have a relationship with God. And, and these rules were carried out in, in rituals practiced at the temple, right? And, and, and in the way that this was done, it really, at the end of the day, created some barriers for how people were able to have or not have access 
themselves to God. And people, different people, different types of people had different levels of access in the temple. Like, you couldn't just show up on a Saturday with your goat and head straight into the altar and make your own sacrifice. Right? Like, that's, that's not how it worked in the Jewish system. There were rules about how all this stuff had to take place. And the way that, t- that the um, temple was built and laid out actually supported these, these rules. And so here's a, here's a picture. We've got a picture of, of the temple, of how it would have looked like at the time uh, of Christ. And to kind of keep it simple, right? Like basically God or, or the presence of God was at the center of the temple. Th- then there were these physical barriers that would separate levels of access that people had. And the farther that you moved away from the center, the less access you had and the more excluded that you were. And so we know that only, like, only the priest could go into the Holy of Holies and, and the innermost, the most intimate, sacred part of the temple. And then beyond that, only the Jewish men could enter into those, those inner courts. And then beyond that, only the Jewish women could enter. And so those, those kind of main areas made up basically like what is the temple proper. And then beyond those walls of, of the temple was called the court of the Gentiles. And so if you think about the temple complex like a stadium, the court of the Gentiles would have been like the parking lot. Like if you were a Gentile, coming to the temple would have been like going to a stadium event and just tailgating and not being able to get into the game and experience it for yourself. And to add to this, archaeologists have actually found an inscription on one of the walls of the court of the Gentiles that reads like this. It says, whoever whoever is captured past this point will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. That's some pretty hostile language, isn't it? If you cross this line because you want to get close to God and worship, we can kill you. Right? But, but this hostility is exactly what existed between the Jew and the Gentile for centuries. And so into this atmosphere, Paul writes that Christ has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And so I hope you're, you're picking up on the, on the imagery here, but, but this is what Paul is saying. He's saying that the physical separation of the temple symbolizes the spiritual separation between God and man and the ethnic separation between Jew and Gentile. That before Christ, we were far from God and we were far from each other. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. And the cross changes everything, doesn't it? It changes everything, even how we define our relationship with other races. And so we do know from other accounts in the Gospels that, that when Jesus died on the cross, that in the, in the Holy of Holies, in the temple, that the curtain that separated God, presence of God from man was torn in two from top to bottom, symbolizing that we, we had direct access now to God through Jesus. There was no longer any separation. And in the same way, Paul is saying that the physical walls of stone and mortar that have separated you from one another, Christ has torn them down. You see, the cross removes the barrier of hostility, and it makes a way for us to live at peace with one another. And this same hostility 
that existed between Jew and Gentile all those thousands of years ago. It didn't stop there, did it? It continued through history between people of all colors, on all continents. And it absolutely has been experienced by people in our country. And so when you look at the walls that continue to separate us to this day, it's easy to find yourself asking that question, what can we do? And at some level feeling like, where is the hope that this is ever going to get any better? But the good news is that God has already taken care of the greatest barrier that prevents us from living at peace with other people. And these verses says that God, God has killed the hostility between ethnic groups in the cross. That the way to kill racism is by and through the cross because it's the only way for the sin inside of us to die. And so although there are still cultural differences and there probably always will be cultural differences between us and other people that make it feel like we will always be separated, we need to not focus on those things but rather take our eyes off of those and focus on the most important thing that we all have in common, regardless of our skin color or ethnicity, that we are all sinners in need of the grace of God. Amen? And we need to remember that there is, there is no race superior to the other, but that the foot, at the foot of the cross, the ground is flat. And so while we need good politicians and we need good policy, and, and activism absolutely has its place when it's needed. Those things can only mask the symptoms for a while. They cannot cure the sickness. Only the cross is the cure for the sin that causes all this anger and hatred and injustice and violence between people of different colors. And so these verses are telling us that that Christ died for those sins. He died to break down the walls that separate us as a result of those sins. The scripture tells us that Christ died to make racial reconciliation possible. Have you thought about that before? Do you believe that? Is that part of your theology and how you see the world? Because it's true. So how do we begin to walk in this? How do we begin to take this out of simply being, being a good idea and actually get to experience some of these walls being torn down in our lives? Because if Christ has purchased this by his blood, then we should want this, right? Well, I think there's maybe two ways that we could start to take steps toward this. So we could start to, to see and feel and experience the walls of separation crumbling in our own lives. And those two things are repentance and empathy. There is no place for racism in the heart of a believer, right? Because Christ died to unite us and to make peace. Any direct act or small thought of the mind mocks and belittles the cross. And so as I've been processing and thinking about all this, you know, over the past few months, I think God has really shown me that there is a need for deep repentance in this area in my own life. Like in my, in my circle of friends growing up, like we, we showed our love for each other. We, we knew that we were each other's friends uh, when we just basically by joking on each other and making fun of each other, right? That was like our love language amongst our group of friends in high school. 
And at some level, you know, okay, that's all right on some level because it's just, you're just busting up with your boys, right? But the problem is when, when that culture and that mindset, it moves from beyond your circle of friends and it moves outward towards others, especially others of different skin color, and the jokes become about other people. And then they don't just stop when you get out of your teenage years, but they continue for far too long in your life. And that's what I've done in my own life. It's continued for far too long. So, so while I would say that, I would never say that I'm directly hostile or, or directly racist against anybody, God has shown me that the attitude of my heart sometimes, the thoughts of my mind, and my jokes at other people's expense would say otherwise. That they would be objective evidence that there are still walls in my heart that need to be torn down. And so, so while I want to be quick to make the first joke and, and make people laugh, and at some level I think, well, it's, it's innocent because I don't really mean it, right? But it's not, and it's cheap, and it's wrong, and it ignores the seriousness of the cross and the unity and the peace that is purchased there by Christ. And God has shown me that those parts in my heart that they need to die, and I need to stop. And so how about you? I'm sure, again, none of us in here would say that we are outwardly racist or outwardly hostile towards people of different skin color. But, but what attitudes of the heart, what thoughts of the mind are contributing to those walls staying up in your heart, those walls of separation? And so I think we as individuals and as a people of God, we need to repent for this. We need to be reconciled to God and repentance if we have any hope of being reconciled with other people. And then on the other side of that, we need, to, we need to claim the forgiveness that's available to us in the cross, and we need to change. We need to put to death those thoughts and those words of our mouth and change. And we can do that in the power of the cross, amen? So I think the next thing is empathy, right? And I think humbling ourselves in, in repentance We'll, we'll help to put our heart in a better position to be able to, to love others by showing empathy. And what is empathy, right? Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of others, right? We would say like it's putting yourself in their shoes, to, to put yourself in their situation and try to authentically feel what it is that they've gone through. And naturally speaking, this may come easier to some of us than others. Like some of us may just be wired in a way where that's hard for us to get to, but we must get there. We must understand what people are going through if we have any hope of making progress in these areas. And so I think if that's true for you, if it may be hard or it's just not something you think about doing, here's maybe a thought that's helpful in how you can start to get that spark of empathy going in your heart. We need to remember that we were the Gentiles. If you're a non-ethnic Jew and you had lived before the time of Christ, you would have been the excluded people group. And now, for many of us in that room, that is a hard thing to get our minds wrapped around, right? That we would ever have been excluded from anything. But you were. But God showed you mercy and grace and love. And if we've truly experienced this, how can we not extend it to others? 
like remembering just how far we were from God, but that he has brought us near from excluded to included, it should put our hearts in a place where we can easily show empathy for other people, where we can, we can see their pain and we can try to walk alongside them and say, I know, I can see what you're going through because spiritually speaking, that was me. I was on the outside looking in, but God, rich in mercy, with the great love that he's loved us with, he made me alive. You see, I think showing empathy towards others is evidence of a heart that truly gets the gospel. So in your life today, who is it that maybe you need to show empathy towards? Who do you need to extend mercy and grace and love towards just as it was done for you? Think about who that could be this morning. And then moving on in this passage, Paul begins to tell us that that not only has God broken down uh, the walls that divide us in Christ, but in the middle of the rubble, he's building back something new. And verse 15 says it like this, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. And this, this word in Greek here for new is a really cool idea. It basically means a new kind, unprecedented, novel, uncommon, unheard of. And so it's not, a, it's not a new version of something that has already existed, but it's something brand new. So don't think about the iPhone 16 or whatever we're up to right now. Think about the first phone, right? Something completely new that never existed before. And in verse 19, he says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What is Paul talking about here? He's talking about the church, isn't he? God is taking what was many and is creating one. From many people, from many ethnic groups, from many skin colors, he is making one new people for himself in his church. And what this means for us is that we now have a new bloodline that defines who we are. We're no longer defined by our family of origin or by our race but we are part of the new family of Jesus defined by his blood. And so here's why I think this is important. If only the cross can be the cure for the separation that exists between races, then I think the best way for this to be shown at work is, for the, is in the interaction of believers of different skin colors. And our interaction with believers different from us takes place where? In the church. And so the church is is the best place for racial reconciliation to be rightly experienced and displayed to the world. Jesus himself told us that the world would know that we are his disciples, that we are followers of him by how we love one another, right? And so as our country and this geographical area continues to, to grow and increase in diversity, and praise God for that, I think we have a real opportunity to see this happen in our lives and in the church. And we can start by taking very small steps, I think. 
I think one of the things that we can do and how we can see this start to happen is simply by initiating a relationship with somebody different from you. Because in, in any damaged relationship, right, if there's gonna be healing, somebody's gotta initiate. Like you know this from other relationships in your life, right? When two people are at odds, somebody's gotta take that first step. And as followers of Jesus, we should be the ones to take that first step. All colors towards all colors. Again, because God did this for us, right? God initiates towards us, so we should initiate towards others. So this could be somebody that's already in our church family, or this could be somebody in your neighborhood or at your workplace that needs Jesus, needs to be invited into this new family and this new bloodline and what God is building in his church. And that can start with a simple conversation, right? And then as this relationship begins to progress and be built, you have the opportunity to ask about their story and where they came from and, and what they've been through and actually work to understand their perspective from their perspective firsthand, not from some outside source telling you what it is they've experienced. And as you start to hear that and, and your heart opens towards them, now we have a real chance for empathy towards others. And for people that you're in a relationship with that are not yet believers in Christ, you think there may be some good avenues for the gospel in those conversations? Absolutely there will be. So can you imagine with me what it would look like if individual believers in every local church across this country began to initiate relationship with others and work towards racial reconciliation and we actually did it? Can you imagine what a witness to the world this would be about what the real cure is for all of the problems that we're going through? And so when we are confronted by these large, complex issues like, like racial tensions, it can be hard to know where to go and, and what exactly to do. But I think we can take these three small steps to begin. We can repent in a few minutes, we're going to be um, sharing communion together today. We're going to be remembering the broken body and the shed blood of our Savior. What a great opportunity to humble ourselves before him today, to repent of, of any sinful actions or, or thoughts of the mind towards others that are different from us. And then in those moments, to receive the forgiveness for all of those things that he's made possible on the cross. Will you ask him to tear down the walls in your heart this morning? Will you repent for any kind of actions or thoughts that you've had and ask him to crumble those walls in you? And second, we can initiate a relationship, right? Like we can all decide to take the first step towards somebody different from us. So think about who that might be for you and write that person's name down before you leave this room today. Or if nobody comes to mind, simply ask God to show you. He wants this. He'll show you somebody. And then lastly is empathy. From this heart of repentance into a relationship with somebody different from us, now we can show empathy. And we can really begin to seek to understand and feel the pain of what people are going through and hopefully start to begin this journey towards healing and peace and unity 
where it's so, so badly needed right now. So Christ has died to bring us hope where it seems like there is none. Christ has died to reconcile us with God and with others. Christ has died to reconcile the differences and the hostility that exists between races, to make one new kainos man out of many and to build his church. This is his blueprint. This is his plan for our lives and for his church. And we can respond to this by repenting, building relationships, and showing empathy to people that are different from us. Will you pray with me? Will you ask him to do this for us? In Revelation 7, we see this beautiful picture of the of what Christ has purchased on the cross being fully realized in eternity. And John, John captures it for us, and he says this. He says, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God, we eagerly look forward to that day, God, where there is no more barriers between um, us on uh, every skin color, ethnicity, and tribe, Lord. They're, they're completely and fully removed, and we, we stand arm in arm before your throne, praising you for what you've accomplished in Christ. God, we long for that day. But until then, God, we ask that you would help us to experience that peace of heaven on earth now. God, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done, that you would build this into your church, God, and that the world would be able to look at what you've done among your people and marvel at your goodness and marvel at your grace and love towards us, God. God, we ask for you to make this happen in each one of our lives, Lord. We put our hope there. And we know that you can do it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we are going to be moving into a time of communion now. So if you're at home tuning in and you want to go ahead and grab um, the elements that you've got for you and your family, um, now would be a good time to do that as we, as we sing a song and then move into a time of communion together. Love you guys. Awesome. Thanks so much, bro. I just thought that I, I got a, the privilege to look over uh, as we were kind of prepper, prepping for this morning, look over Eric's message a little bit earlier in the week, and I just thought it was so timely and so um, what, what we needed to hear. So thanks for sharing, buddy. Um,